Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell. And I'm Flo Lloyd Hughes. And welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast, where every Wednesday, Flo and I will be picking out one article from all the brilliant writing available on The Athletic and putting the writers under the spotlight. Today, David Ornstein and Arsenal correspondent Amy Lawrence join us to talk about David's exclusive and, to be honest, pretty moving interview with Jack Wilshire. Fair play to Jack Wilshire, so, so honest and, like you say, very moving as well. We'll say hello to them in just a minute, but first, Flo, let's have a look at a couple of things that have been going on in the football world. We'll start with Payet being hit by a bottle. Nice Marseille at the weekend, absolute chaos in France. Yeah, I saw these pictures as well after the game of um, Guendouzi, obviously former Arsenal player, and might have been Payet was the other player, but they had uh, like strangle marks yeah. on their necks from the fans that had um, got onto the pitch. I mean, yeah, it was pretty wild. And then the match ended up being abandoned. And I think a league uh, rules state that even though it was Nice that, like cause the chaos that Nice get awarded a three nil win or something like that. Um, it it does yeah it doesn't it doesn't sound particularly fair. But because the match was abandoned, the referee didn't restart it. Um, you know, and and it, I I hope there's some kind of punishment for the fans because yeah that is just absolutely mad. Yeah, I watched Malice at the Palace on Netflix recently. It was quite reminiscent of, of that. I don't know whether, whether you've seen it, the, the big basketball fight that there was years and years and years ago now. It was it was very reminiscent of that. Since I can't say I've particularly seen it in, in football in my lifetime, actually. No, I mean, we haven't seen that in the UK for a very long time, thankfully. Um, and you do occasionally see it in Europe every now and again, uh, especially in kind of like France and Italy. I mean, do you remember, was it Patrice Evra and that, kind of he did a yeah. sort of yeah, Cantona style flying kick um that was one of his last things like playing in professional football because I'm pretty sure he's fully retired now so you do see slices of it every now and again I mean Gwen Doozy always seemed pretty scrappy at Arsenal so I'm not surprised he got well and truly stuck in um I just don't you know what I know it doesn't say I don't mean it in a kind of like oh our boys wouldn't do that but I do feel like a lot of players in England just don't have time for that nonsense they just well, they nah. would just be like, can you not throw a lighter at my head? I think it all kicked off because Dimitri Payet threw the water bottle back and obviously mm. then the Nice fans went absolutely crazy. But I feel like a lot of our, our players are just like, can you not, guys? Like, I'm just trying to play football. Like, they kind of just shrug. Yeah, I mean, Rhys James had something hurled in his direction when he scored against Arsenal at the weekend, yeah, didn't yeah. he? I mean, I guess that, that covers the ugly. Arsenal, as usual, will probably be the bad in the podcast. Let's let's talk about the good. Mikhail Antonio has become West Ham's all-time leading goal scorer last night, and a, a player that just seems to to get better every season. He's moved all around the pitch, and now he's West Ham's number nine, and he's in the form of his life. 
I, I was really surprised to see that he, he was the West Ham's record goal scorer now because you'd think with some of the players that had played there, I mean, especially someone like Di Canio, that his record would be a fairly big one to to beat. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's brilliant to see him thriving um, and he's just he's just such a fun player to watch. Um, and I think he he does things to surprise people. And I think, I think people always see him in a very one dimensional way when actually he is, he's so much more than that. He's actually a really versatile player. And I think it's brilliant. I mean, it's going to sound like a criticism and it's not meant as one at all, but you know, he misses quite a lot of chances, but he scores a lot of goals. So he actually gets himself into such good positions. I think that's probably something that he's quite underrated. The fact that the dangerous positions he gets himself in game after game. I know he's got fitness concerns and he, he struggles with injuries at times. But, you know, as Premier League strikers go, he's very good at finding himself in the right place. Yeah, no, no, definitely. He's got brilliant awareness. Um, I think that's why defenders find it really difficult because I think you would look at his physicality and say, well, he's a big guy. So that's why he's so hard to defend. But actually, I think he gets in he gets in really good positions and he's really good at finding the space and, and making life really difficult for defenders. Just before we bring the guys in for the Jack Wilshere podcast, let me quickly remind you that you can read the interview with Jack in full and so much more on The Athletic at the moment. And you can do that and save 33% on access to the best newsroom in sport. All you got to do is go to theathletic.com slash Ornstein and you'll get yourself that discount. Now, we'll be playing clips from the Jack Wilshere interview throughout this podcast, but we should tell you as well that there is going to be a video available on The Athletic's UK YouTube channel where you can watch the interview with Jack in full. So watch out for that as well. Amy, David, thanks ever so much for joining Flo and myself. First off, David, really, really great interview. I listened to it yesterday. Jack was was so, so open. It was was really nice to hear a footballer open himself up and speak so candidly. Just to start with, I know it was you that that approached Jack. What was it that made you want to do this? Well, that's a good question, Dan, because you're constantly thinking of people who you want to interview, stories that you want to tell. And it goes from all manner of parts of journalism from the more sort of political stuff um, right the way through to the more human interest stuff and in between is kind of general football interviews and this definitely came down on on the more human interest side and when you're thinking of of players and stories that would would tick that box there aren't many more potentially compelling um, than Jack Wilshere somebody that people want to hear from whether it be Arsenal fans West Ham fans England fans football people in general. What has happened to Jack Wilshere? He was the boy who had the world at his feet, really, wasn't he? He was meant to be the standard bearer of this new era for English talent, uh, ball-playing, creative, young players in the mould of kind of Xavi and Iniesta. And uh, ironically, he sort of played them off the park for Arsenal against Barcelona. I think it was in 2011. And it seemed that he was going to be something like we'd not really seen before in this country. In his breakthrough season, I think he played 54 games for club and country. And I remember people telling me at that time that he's in danger here. I think he played uh, a game against England, maybe Switzerland, and picked up an ankle knock. Was meant to be playing in the Emirates Cup. I'm not sure if he actually played or was pulled out beforehand as a precaution. Um, And it eventually materialised that he had to undergo surgery on his ankle. I think it was a stress fracture later diagnosed. 
tried to come back, didn't go to plan, ruled out for the whole of the 2012 season. And from that moment on, despite having moments of brilliance for both Arsenal and England, it was never quite the same. He then went to West Ham to try and rebuild and that went disastrously wrong. Three-year contract terminated after two years. He could have stayed and taken his full pay, but he decided to come out and try and spark his career into life. Trained on his own, went to Bournemouth on a short-term contract, injury-free pretty much, but they didn't renew him. They've gone in a different direction under Scott Parker with young players, and now he is on his own again. Um, so at the minute, I, I've done a pre-season with a club, I don't think it's fair if I, I tell if I mention the name of the club. But yeah, I had a good pre-season. I worked hard. Unfortunately, I got COVID, so I've been in isolation for the last 12 days or so. So my current position at the minute is I'm I'm working my fitness. I'm building my fitness back up. Uh, I've done a couple of sessions since my isolation, and yeah, I'm waiting. I mean, I don't know what else I can do really apart from keep myself ready, keep myself fit. Um, keep myself positive in terms of, of the mental side of things and just and just wait until something comes up. Do you have any offers? Uh, no, not at the moment. Um, I've been at the top, as you said, but that's where I enjoyed it the most. Now, I'm not saying that I need to be at the top. I, I need to be at the top, but I want to get that enjoyment back when I play football, when I run out on the pitch. When I wake up in the morning, I want to look forward to going to training and, and being with the lads. Um, and yeah, that's something that, that I'm missing. It was clear he was going to be open and candid. Otherwise, there, there's no real point doing it. Footballers um, increasingly, I think they need to wear their hearts on their sleeve to resonate with the people watching, listening and reading their interviews. And if they don't, they don't tend to make much of an impact. He wants to flag his availability, of course. I'm... I know that, but he also just wanted to speak, as you said, the word candid. I didn't expect him to be so honest, if truth be told. So we came into the athletic offices, we sat down, we recorded, as you've heard, and uh, it was an emotional and captivating and fascinating hour in his company. Yeah, I mean, I guess I am here. I mean, if a player wants to let let people know that they're available and they're out there, usually that they go on Soccer AM. So he's he's come out and he's he's been very very honest. And I think that was my biggest takeaway from the the interview and listening to him for that hour. It's, it's not that he was trying to tout himself and let people know that he was available. He just wanted to have an honest and frank conversation about how his career's gone. I think that's Jack, and I think Jack's always been a quite a heart on his sleeve kind of a guy. And uh, just listening to David there, like the kind of recap of his career, I remember first hearing about him when he was uh, in the youth team at Arsenal. And there was a lot of talk about this boy. And it was a period of, of, of time at the club where there was a production line of some quite extraordinarily gifted uh, youngsters, um, albeit some of them came from abroad. So Anelka was probably the first who, at the age of 17, came in and was instantly brilliant. Then you get Cesc Fabregas. And the next one along was an English boy, and that was Jack. And uh, in the youth team, he had a bit of a reputation, not just for being a, you know, a very precocious player, but quite a feisty young man as well. <laughs> and I remember people saying, you know, there'd be a story of he, he'd do something brilliant, but then he'd get, he'd get hot-headed 
and uh, you know get into trouble or or get sent off or you know and it, and it was like can he channel and harness all this uh, potential because when you've got that personality as well as great ability you know I think when you're going to go far in the game you have to have both it's really hard no matter how able you are to actually maximize everything you've got unless you've got that strength of personality to go with it and Jack was never short of that um I think it's one of those where there was it was great when he first emerged it was really genuinely exciting to see this this lad come through who had um, a bit of swagger and attitude and, and, and spark about him. He could really play, but he wanted to know as well. He had, he kind of almost had a mixture of um, quite sophisticated football ability with a bit of traditional English uh, mentality. It's the sort of thing you think, great, let's build your team around this for years to come. Um, And it looked like he had every chance of doing that. So it's, when I was first of all, I was just having it, you know, reminding myself about Jack and noticed that he was still only 29 and thought, God. Um, but it does seem premature to think that, you know, a player of that talent at the age of 29 who still feels he can do it uh, is is struggling to find opportunities. That's really sad. Yeah, that, that that's the bit for me to, I mean, I in my head he's so much older and the fact that 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 point in the interview and um the article is up now and and we're going to be playing clips as well throughout this podcast and you can also watch the full interview on the athletics youtube channel but that point in the interview where i think maybe 10 minutes in when it's just reiterated the fact he's only 29 i was like had to google i was like nah he's not he's not 29 come on oh my god he's only 29 and it is i mean it does happen a lot with players that kind of come onto the the international stage so early but to I think what another shocking aspect was that the fact the realization that no no one has approached him for 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 a new deal anywhere um I was really surprised at that to not even have a club who is willing to maybe bring you to the table and and talk about negotiating a contract that's probably lower than he's you know ever had made potentially in his career but to not even have that at the negotiating table what were you guys really surprised to hear that yeah I think we've got to look at this in a mature way in so far as he would have an expectation of the level of football that he would want to play at so I don't think it's that he couldn't play in league two or the Dutch third division or I think coming out of the level he's played at, he would expect to have some kind of offers or invitations to train by some clubs towards the top in, in not necessarily in one of the Europe's big five leagues, but maybe in the sort of MLS or somewhere like that. And as things stand, that hasn't happened. He said in the interview he was training with a club. He declined to mention the name of that club and said there were some conversations about him potentially signing. But... They drifted away. It wasn't right for either party. And it was that chain of thought flow that got me onto the question of, well, what are you actually going to do then? I had a conversation with my wife the other day. It was just before I went to bed and I said to her, I said to her, look, I've got to train tomorrow, but why am I training? So I just like try and focus on something else. I can, I can be a coach or I've just uh, got onto the... Uh, the course to do my A license, I'll start focusing on that. And she said to me, No, you can't, you can't, you're too good. And I said to her, But you sound too good, but 
if I if I was too good, someone would come and at least give me a chance, like you said, let me, let me go and train there or let me try and prove myself to them. Um, so yeah, they're, they're conversations that I'm having, but at, at, at what point do I do I say right enough's enough? I don't know. To be honest, I'll, I'll keep going until. And I mean, because I, I said to my agent as well, I said I don't want to be in that position where I'm waiting and waiting, and then before you know it, January transfer window comes, and I've almost wasted another season. You know, I'm not getting any younger, um, and I don't want to do that. I did that last year, and actually, it turned out that it didn't really help me. Although I played some games, I had a good time at Bournemouth. The idea of that six month was to show everyone that I can play and I'm fit and I'd get another opportunity next year, whether that be at Bournemouth or another club. Um, and that seems to, to not have worked. So to do that for another year where I'll, maybe I'll go somewhere in January and then play for another four four or five months towards the end of the season, I feel like I'd be wasting my time. And he's got his children saying to him, Dad, why aren't you playing football or they the younger two of the four children don't even know what he does they don't understand what going out to training means when they don't see him playing the older two and especially Archie the nine-year-old boy he has seen him he went to the box at the Emirates Stadium Delilah the the eldest daughter went to the box at the Emirates Stadium they they've seen YouTube clips they understand it but then Archie says why don't you go and sign in the MLS why don't you go and play in La Liga they they don't fully grasp that concept and then there's a bit that isn't in the interview and it occurred once the cameras and microphones stopped recording but I did ask Jack for his permission to use and it's included in the written piece where he says that a child at Archie's school came up to him and was taking the mic out of his dad and he called him Jack Wheelchair and Archie got really upset and he's quite a sensitive boy and he came home and told Jack and Jack, when he went into school the next time, confronted the parent, the father of the boy who said that. And Jack said, it wasn't me that was so upset. It was just that he had hurt my son. And when you think about it like that, I want anyone listening or reading this to forget him trying to tout himself for a club, as you quite rightly said, Flo. But he's actually needing to speak to somebody. And it happened to be me on this occasion when we came out, the podcast producer, Dave, said to me, that was almost like therapy. It sounded like quite cathartic for him. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. back heel. Here's Jack Wilshire! Oh, I might just be better than the first one! Smashed hurt by Wilshire! Uh, it makes me think about Mbappé because uh, I played him at 17 years of age because he was an exceptional talent. Unfortunately, he has been stopped uh, very early by big injuries at his ankle. And uh, I believe that now he comes out, he's come out of, of it and uh, He's an exceptional football player. Can pass people, can give a final ball, uh, has a fantastic football brain, and he's a great guy as well, because when you have gone through what he has gone through, medically you need to be mentally very strong. And he can take pressure, believe me. 
one of the things that I'm kind of surprised at is there are lots of players who have been able to rebrand in their careers. Um, Charlie Austin's a player that, um, as a QPR fan, I didn't think it was a brilliant idea to bring him back in January. Um, tweeted about it, received a hell of a, lot of a lot of Twitter abuse about it, and still do to this day. And he's had a really positive in- impact on the club. But he's so- a player, and there's so many players like this, who have had reputations of being injury prone and spending long time on the sidelines, failing medicals throughout their entire career. But he's someone who's managed to rebrand enough to prove himself enough to still get deals at clubs and, you know, provide, you know, a certain thing on and off the pitch. So why is it that that, that Jack has struggled to, to rebrand and shake off this injury prone image, which in the interview he himself says, you know, I haven't been injured since January 2020 it was. So why has it been so difficult for him to do that? I don't know how to answer that in a way, but one thing I would say is that another great string to Jack's bow, and I think it's something that I hope people consider if he gets a chance uh, at another club, is that quite apart from what he offers on the pitch, I think what he offers in a dressing room is massive. And he might have a bit of a reputation amongst certain fans out there who don't really know him and don't know what he's all about. But if you do get to know Jack, he is... Uh, a fantastic he's a real football head he is very very loyal to people around him in football who um, need encouragement he puts the game first he puts people first I think he would be a bonus for a lot of dressing rooms and now that he is although he's 29 we've all just said that we feel like he's a load older I think he could potentially be a really positive help to um you know, to a coach, to have a character like that in your dressing room, particularly if you've got younger or uh, less experienced players around or people from abroad, I think he would do an amazing job in bringing people together and giving them that idea of something, you know, to fight for that's above and beyond just going out to train, going out to prepare to play, recovery, you know, the kind of the life of football. I think he can bring life to a, a dressing room, to a team as a person. Uh, and I hope that also is something that will stand him in good stead, whatever happens in terms of his own playing career at this stage, because he's he's one of those people I would expect to stay in the game and maybe go into coaching or some other aspect, because I think he's got loads to give. Amy, just to pick up, and I don't want to embarrass you, but didn't you tell me a story the other day about another side that shows Jack's, his human side, I guess? Yeah, I mean, uh, a, a few years ago, I, I was lucky enough to um, work on a film uh, about uh, the 1989 season, which is a big one for Arsenal. And uh, at the time when it came out, we sent uh, we had a we had a premiere, which we were all very excited about, and we invited the sort of great and the good of World Arsenal, and that included the, the they wanted to send out um, invites to all the first team, uh, and the. The only one who came was Jack and he and his wife came along to the premiere because he was just, you know, he was interested. He was trying to immerse himself in a bit of the history of the club. He knew roughly about this thing that had happened in the past before he was born and that it was a big deal. and It was a big part of Arsenal's heritage. And uh, he didn't come along, you know, he was sort of almost doing us a favour. He didn't do it for him but he did it because he really wanted to and he was the only one. And uh, I, I kind of feel that is representative of who he is as a person. 
Yeah, I've got to say, I, le- I learned a lot about him from the piece. I maybe had a, a couple of preconceptions about him, but he blew me away in the hour that, that he spoke to you, David. I just, want to, I just want to go back to the mental health aspect a little bit, and it's just so sad to think of this guy training on his own, running an athletics track. When you think about when he played against Barcelona, you know, and this wasn't Barcelona now, this was Barcelona when they were at their peak, when they were, when they were the best side in the world. And he, and he absolutely ran the show. He was a fantastic footballer. He still still could be a fantastic footballer, but you know, at that, at that point, the peak of his powers, he was running games against the best teams in the world. Yeah, Dan, let's not uh, overhype the word mercurial, but that is what Jack Wilshere was. He's generational talent. I've been on pods with you where I've been mentioning that word around the likes of Jaden Sancho, Phil Foden, um, but Jack was in that category. Um, and, you know, I don't know if these things are God-given, born with talent and skills but he had everything um apart from height I guess you could say um and he compensated for that and some you know that that wasn't the only match even though that's the one everybody talks about of course there were there were many up and down the country and for England you know he won goal of the season in 2014 for that strike against Norwich which everyone will will remember he um I don't normally use Wikipedia as a trusted source, but it pointed out to me uh, in the compiling of this piece that he won five out of six Man of the Match awards in qualification for Euro 2016. Now, I'd need to double check that. But what we can say is that he starred in that qualification campaign. And Roy Hodgson was so desperate to include him in his team because he offered something different. Um Obviously, the 2016 tournament went disastrously. He went to the 2014 World Cup in uh, in Brazil for the same reason, even though he hadn't played a huge amount before. And he was very disappointed to be left out of the 2018 World Cup in Russia um, because he offered what England managers couldn't get anywhere else um, in that ball-playing creative player. And I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here, but back to your, your mental health point. Jack couldn't make more clear in the interview, and I've got to stress this, that he's not asking for sympathy. He's not saying he's had a bad life. He's admitting he's had a brilliant life. He's got lots of money. Four kids who are healthy and they go to good schools. Uh, And there'll be someone who has to wake up at five in the morning just to put food on the table for his kids. So it's a difficult one because... In turn, like the reality of it is that I'm okay, but it still doesn't stop me having them thoughts or or struggling with things like because it's not about for me. It's not my next move is not about oh I need to make money. It's not about that. It's about the the feeling I've got inside that I used to have. And I'm not just talking about when I was a kid growing up loving football. It was in the early days at Arsenal when I used to you know love love playing, love going out playing at the Emirates and love that feeling. It's about trying to get that feeling back of of having something to to fight for really and like having them ups in, in football, having them downs, experiencing them. So I don't know if I've been depressed about this because I wouldn't I'd like to think I've never really been depressed, but I've never had this this feeling either. So I don't know. And then when you bring in some of those other factors, like how people have sort of treated him and 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 uh, speak about him, yeah, we can all take a bit of stick. But you know that's that's affecting 
more than his livelihood, more than the finances, it's affecting his love and his passion. And that's what he wants to get back now. And Flo pointed out there, no injury since January 2020, according to Wilshire himself. And he says that was a hernia, which was just a 10-day turnaround. So you've got to go back even further. But the stigma that comes with the injuries appears to have, in his words, closed the door to English clubs, which I just find astonishing. So now he's sort of saying, well, I'll look abroad and um, I will go. That's what I want to do now. It's time for a new start, a, a fresh life good opportunity for his family to live somewhere else and and do something different and I think everyone would wish him well in that because the truth is he shouldn't be turning up on a weekday afternoon for an interview with a journalist within the first couple of weeks of the new Premier League season he should be inside a training ground running every blade of grass competing with his teammates um, and getting ready for the next fixture. He said a small number of people are very close to him and, and keep in contact. Forgive me if I miss names out here. He talked about the likes of um, Benica Fobe, who's been through tragedy himself, losing uh, a baby, and they remain best friends. They speak daily, and Jack almost feels bad uh, pouring his heart out to Benick in that context. Uh, Joe Hart, Danny Welbeck, um, Arsene Wenger from time to time as well. So there are people, but he used the phrase out of sight, out of mind. And it's quite a cutthroat industry in which memories are, are pretty short. And I wonder if when, you know, we all hail such a talent when he comes through and the game is so excited, the FA would have had him as a poster boy. He'll be all over London, Colney, Hale End, the Emirates Stadium. Well, who puts their arm around him or a player like this? in times of need when when they're on their own and um and maybe that's something we we all need to look at and and hopefully this interview will help not only him but also players in similar positions because he's had it a hell of a lot better than a lot of players throughout the game he still really wants to play football i think you you get that from the interview and i know you 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 were talking about that there's an expectation of a certain level he's going to play at and and amy mentioned what he could provide off the pitch so do you think it is going to get to a point where he might accept having to drop down a tier, you know, maybe even further in order to get a move that works for him. I mean, if no one in MLS is interested right now, is it about going to USL? We've seen a few older Premier League players go over there recently. Is is that something that he needs to do? Is there going to have to be a kind of an adjustment in order for him to find what he loves again? I might throw that over to Amy, but one point I'll just make before she addresses it is the West Ham issue. That burned him, I could tell. He grew up as a West Ham fan, not an Arsenal fan. Uh, remarkably, when you consider him taking the microphone after the FA Cup final and chanting about Tottenham, uh, coming to the film premiere that Amy mentioned. But he was a West Ham fan and he got the chance to play for them. Many of his father's family go to West Ham home and away. It didn't work out well there and he copped a hell of a lot of abuse on social media in particular from West Ham fans. So that avenue was one explored. Bournemouth has been explored. And yeah, you raise a good question. Where next, Amy? I just think he's got to get out of this uh, solitary, almost football confinement, if you like. Uh, that's just a horrible image. And I think if you speak to anyone in the game who has uh, gone through that process of being a player and then their career ends and they have to readjust, if you like, to the real world, um, it usually comes with a lot of problems, that that period. Because what people cannot 
find in their uh, in the other parts of their life is that camaraderie and that you know being part of that bigger picture part of that crew uh pushing each other challenging each other having jokes with each other um the rhythm of playing football so uh, you know ha having a sort of you know having the next fixture to to prepare for and then the build up to it and either taking part or maybe being disappointed if you're not selected and then the post-match and recovery and then going again and there's that sort of ebb and flow of of being part of a football team that is it dominates your life uh for most players and its absence is really really difficult so i just i, I don't know what the you know what the opportunities will come and where they are geographically or level wise but i just think it will do him the power of good if he still wants to play and he still feels he can play and his body will allow him to play to just be involved, you know, just get back into that, into a team um, and see where that takes him. I, I just think it's important that he doesn't get marooned. I, th I think there's a limit to how much training on your own with the hope of reviving your career is, is a kind of practical way to go. Plenty more to discuss. This is the Athletic Football Podcast and we'll be back after the short break. We're going to have a look as well at Arsenal's defeat to Chelsea on Sunday. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot -E -E com slash athletic football with no spaces. Honestly, yeah, I should have never left. Um, and listen, I've been slaughtered by every single West Ham fan out there and that's nothing against West Ham. It could have been anyone, but I shouldn't have left Arsenal. Um, but saying that, you know, as I mentioned before, I grew up a, a West Ham fan. My dream growing up, yes, I was in the Arsenal Academy. But before that, when I was really young, you know, some talking seven, eight, my dream was to play for West Ham, and I did. I always think, you know, I had a conversation with Arsene when I came back from Bournemouth the first time. I broke my leg playing for Bournemouth, and I had a year left on my contract, and I came back um, and done my rehab at Arsenal. New season started, I was still sort of trying to get fit um, and Arsene said to me look you can leave you're not going to get a new contract here and knowing Arsene the way I knew him and I knew how much he rated me as a footballer I knew if I got myself fit I looked around the midfield and I thought if I get myself fit here this, we, we were in the Europa League so there's loads of games we obviously Arsene played uh, sort of the reserves in the Carabao Cup and I knew if I got myself fit, I had a few good performances, I can get myself into that team. Um, and I wish I had that same mentality when I sat down with um, Emery. Mm -hmm. 
when he first came and he said, look, there's a contract on the table, but you're not in my starting 11. And I remember walking out of there angry, obviously, because I thought I was going to play. I, I, I proved myself in the team the year before and then for someone to come into, into the club and say, no, you're not going to play. I was angry and I probably made a few rash decisions. You know, I walked out of there, I rang my agent and said, right, that's it, we need to we need to leave. And I probably should have taken a few days, maybe a week, and just calmed down and, and, and thought to myself, again, I look around this midfield and I back myself to get in it. Kovacic, that's a lovely ball in business here. Lukaku yeah. scores on second debut. It's only taken 14 minutes. Arsenal ripped apart. And it it upsets me to see where they are. Um, one thing I will say is, and this is not me sitting on the fence or anything, is I do think Arteta is the right guy. Um, I, obviously, I, I watch... Uh, all the news uh, on social media I see the stuff about Mikel some some people want him out I think he's trying to build something I think it will take time I mean what hurts me the most is even when I was there okay we, we the first few years we were challenging but then we dropped a little bit but we still got into into the Champions League and then we dropped out of the Champions League and that felt like a massive disappointment like that felt like oh my god we need to be in Champions League we need to be challenging and now they're they're not even challenging for that do you know what I mean they're not even challenging for a Europa League place really but there's a a good group of young players which I feel is probably the best since since me Aaron and, and Kieran Gibbs came through which these players need a few years. And I, I think the difference is with these young players, I came into a team of world-class players yeah. and they really helped me. Uh, Sesk, Robin, Nasri, they were all brilliant and I could learn from them. And that's why, that's why I feel that it's going to take a little bit more time because there's more responsibility on these young players. Hey, me, Jack. Clearly very upset about what's going on at Arsenal at the moment. Arsenal's plighting. You had a piece out at the weekend post-Chelsea asking the question, when might Arteta's Arsenal look like a proper team? Do you have the answer? <laughs> um, I wish. Uh, it's, uh, it's complex. I think that, you know, it, it was obviously, um, it's been a pretty horrendous start to the season, both uh, football-wise and circumstantially. Uh, those two things are really connected. And that was exactly what led me to try and imagine uh, at what point, I suppose, it's maybe not so much at what point they, they look like a proper team, but if they don't look like a proper team by a certain period of time, then what? Because obviously this kind of, um, uh, this kind of bottom of the table, no goals, no points scenario isn't, isn't really an option for too much longer. Uh, it's just a f- funny one that they've put a lot into this rebuild this summer, but it hasn't, you know, the, the, the platform to actually kind of kickstart something new is not there. Um, so players have not been available and to be playing against a team as, as immensely powerful as Chelsea, European champions, pretty much at full strength, having just put one of the top strikers around when you've not got either of your 
best centre backs, your best central midfield player, um, and either of you are two best centre forwards. I'm not sure there's many clubs around in the world that would have managed that situation. I'm not sure if Arsenal would have been able to get a result at you know full strength because Chelsea are fantastic at the moment, and that is important to throw in there. But um, it just feels very strange to be sitting here. Uh, you know, I've heard you know people almost kind of presenting this situation. Oh, let, let let's start again after the international break. Well, kind of, you know, you can't just fritter away nine points and pretend it's not happening because you weren't quite ready or because things didn't fall in, in place for you. So it's been a really, really challenging period for Arteta. He described, he used the word unprecedented. Um, I wasn't quite sure of the context of that, but it's clearly been um, everything that he's preparing and trying to do and planning. It's like, he, you know, the ingredients are on the table, but he can't actually get his hands in and mix them all together yet. So I think if there is a problem that comes in post the internationals, Arsenal uh, have Norwich way. I've not even mentioned that they've got Man City this weekend away. I think, yeah, if things don't, don't restart well, let's say, uh, after the international break, I think it's going to be very problematic. Yeah, and David, Jack clearly thinks Arteta's the right man, former former teammates, I believe, as as well. Do you think Jack's right? Well, he doesn't sugarcoat his answers, Jack, so he's got no reason to compliment Mikel Arteta. Um, he does think, with time, he is the right man for the job. Uh, clearly, there is a large element of the fan base that disagrees with that. Um, I don't really have an opinion on it because I'm not qualified to know if he's the right man for the job or not. I guess none of us are. Nobody in the world is until the results play out. Um, Arsenal are backing him. They're building around him in an even stronger way than they built around Unai Emery, who they were backing. You're backing a manager until you stop backing him and he gets the sack. And agreed with Amy, you know, if results deteriorate, of course... Um, the scrutiny is only going to ratchet up and and it's going to be increasingly um, troublesome and the waters will get choppier. Um, but look at the amount of money they've invested during Mikel Arteta's reign. It's not like they've not backed the manager and they're going to have to give it time. Firstly, because those signings need to bed in. Secondly, because I don't think anyone would say he doesn't deserve to work with them and try and mould them into whatever his vision is. And I'll maintain, and as I've always said on every podcast or bit of coverage we've done, he's incredibly highly regarded throughout the game as a coach, as um, a manager. We don't know because he's not been a manager before. And there are certainly people that don't think he should have elevated from head coach to the manager's position. The power that that entails, the responsibility, the um, added commitments, that a continental structure that Arsenal had built um, was all about a head coach and leaving them just to get on with working on the team. Um, Wilshire points out that uh, they've got a really good crop of young players and it's probably the best since he, Kieran Gibbs and Aaron Ramsey were there. Uh, so he's referring to the likes of Bakayo Saka, Emile Smith-Rowe, who he described as the best player on the pitch at Brentford. I was there, I'd be inclined to agree. Um, 
and their signings have all been of a similar age bracket so far 22 23 years old Ben White Lukonga Tavares uh, Odegaard and Ramsdale uh, it'd be interesting to see if that changes in the in the final week of the window if they add some more experience because the point that Jack makes is that when he was there he was able to come into a world-class team so as a young player it was the experienced players that kind of carried you and you were the cherry on the cake or, or some bit of window dressing at times you could say and then you learn the ropes and you graduate through to become the experienced player yourself well at the moment the, the young players at Arsenal are carrying the experienced players and that's no way to it's not sustainable and that's a concern um I think the owners, of course, will have a lot of scrutiny as always. It's not so long ago that Daniel Ek was trying to take over the club with the Arsenal Invincibles, uh, Thierry Henry, Dennis Bergkamp and Patrick Vieira. Uh, the fans protested um, and they've made their feelings pretty clear about the cronky ownership. Well, you know, 2018, they took sole control. The years are ticking by now. The money's being invested we don't know precisely how, but it is being invested. Um, they've put Edu as technical director, who also was in it, inexperienced in the role. They've now got Richard Garlick alongside him. But we talked on the, the Athletic Football podcast earlier this week about Arsenal maybe lacking some of the operational footballing expertise of some of their rival clubs. But that's the simplistic way to look at it. And fundamentally he is desperately in need of some results on the pitch. The players are good enough to get them. I don't think he's lost the dressing room yet, as um, Unai Emery did, but clearly there are some players who don't know exactly what's being asked of them, or they do, and they're not able to achieve it. And so I think it's a pretty precarious time for Arsenal. At the same moment of as their rivals are careering off into the distance. Um, so... Sorry to have a bit of a sombre note there. Um, we, we may finish on a, a brighter note with Jack, I'm sure. Yeah, just to just to kind of wrap up as well. I mean, Amy, lastly, do you think that there's some kind of sliding doors universe in which, you know, Jack would be captain of Arsenal right now and he would be the one to lead them back to, to where they've been? Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, why not? I mean, I, I think had he never... I mean, I still harken back to the fact that he was, what, still a teenager and he was out for 17 months and he'd already by then broken loads of records and come in the team and achieved such a lot. It's, it's nuts. Um, I, I think had he had, he had the, the fitness, um, he seemed to be, I always felt when that time when he was there that there was particularly him and Wojciech Szczesny who were very good mates were what, what you might call Arsenal people. Um, and, you know, whoever your club is, whether it's Villa or QPR or whoever you support, you know what you mean when you talk about someone really belonging to your club and really kind of... And those two, and, and maybe it's not a coincidence that they both got into a bit of trouble for saying things about North London rivalry, let's just say, in the, in the public domains. Um, they They knew emotionally about what it was. And I think when you have that connection with a club and if you're good enough, uh, and as long as you're not so brilliant that you end up being coveted by a, a mega club, you know, and it's impossible to turn down Barcelona or Real Madrid or Paris Saint-Germain or whatever, then 
why not spend a decade or more at that club being uh, the heartbeat, the mainstay, the leader? Um, maybe in an alternative universe that could have happened for Jack. Uh, there was a point not that long ago, I think it was maybe pre when he went to Bournemouth, when he was in his first period of training on his own that David mentioned, that I did wonder whether he might come back to Arsenal. Um, Arsenal have a, a history of allowing, well, Arsenal Bank used to do it all the time, where uh, ex-players who needed it would come back and train. And the door was sort of all, always open. Um, Sol Campbell re-signed, Jens Lehmann re-signed, uh, I think Flamini re-signed briefly. Remember, so there, was a, there was a few who came back. Most famously of all, Thierry Henry came back. Uh, the return of the king, as they called it. He was <laughs> playing in MLS and uh, came back to keep fit and uh, looked so good that Arsenal couldn't resist giving him another try. And he scored in an FA Cup game against Leeds, a kind of classic Thierry Henry goalie. And uh, everybody fell in love. And I did wonder if Jack could come back and train. This was a period where Arsenal were struggling a bit and could have done with some help in midfield and also some help just around the place in terms of a lift and in terms of a bit of understanding of the club, but it, it didn't quite materialise. Uh, I'd still like to think that door is open for him to come back and train, whether it goes as far as, whether it helps relaunch him in some capacity, uh, playing or otherwise, at Arsenal or otherwise, I'd like to think that that door could be open. Yeah, I'll just add very quickly, if you don't mind, that uh, he did do some coaching, I think, with Per Mertesacker in the academy and He's ready, I think, to take his UEFA A license, uh, if I remember correctly. Um, So there are plans for the future. But yeah, when I did push him on the future and coaching, he actually quite abruptly brought me back to the present and said he's not thinking about that just yet because he is still focused on um, doing what Amy says, getting fit. And on that note, he says he is in the best shape he's ever been in. And he's at pains to stress that that is not a PR line he's not trying to sell himself um, but he genuinely feels that he's learned from all his injuries Um, he's learned from a lot of mistakes in the way that he looked after his own body but also the way he was treated by um, medics over the years potentially with so many different ailments that he had and he said it's a strange thing to say it's mad but as he's got older and he's got to 29, he he actually feels in the best physical shape of his life. So wouldn't it be fascinating to see if he manages to turn this around and have a few really good years? It may just be one launching pad and and, and then he may take off. Like we've seen more uh, remarkable stories in football and I would love this to be added to the list. Well, that's a, a lovely way to end it, David. Thanks so much to the both of you for joining Flo and myself today to talk through Jack Wilshere's future. Hopefully, hopefully it's a bright one for him and we wish him all the best. And I'd also like to thank Amy for not talking about another Jack that could have stayed at his homegrown club and led them to glory. But yeah, great to talk to you both and I hope we get to speak again soon. I nearly did, by the way. <laughs> I thought you did. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Cheers, thanks so much. Just before we leave, Flo, I believe you've got a piece you want to point people in the direction of on The Athletic. Yeah, um, a piece as well. I'm sure lots of people saw Tammy Abraham's brilliant start to life uh, at Roma and uh, James Horncastle's done a piece about uh, his, his debut there and how Abraham stole the show on debut for Mourinho. 
I'll be sure to read that because I do like all of James Horncastle's stuff. Thanks ever so much again to Amy and David for joining us. Fascinating. And thanks to Jack Wilshire as well for being so open with The Athletic. And don't forget to watch out for that full-length video on YouTube. Listeners, if you're enjoying it, hit subscribe and leave us a review as well if you're feeling generous. Thanks to Flo for co-hosting with me and keep an eye out for tomorrow's episode on this very podcast feed. Cheers. The Athletic.